Yeah, so this is Donald Lawrence's Camera Obscura um, at the Coote Center, which is a farm that the University of Lethbridge owns. And he turned a 1920s uh, metal grain bin into a walk-in Camera Obscura. Yeah, it looked like it was, he was really blowing everybody's minds. <laughs> it is quite amazing. Um, I mean, it is partly it is a, a, a as an object, it's a, a gorgeous sculptural object. I mean, that's why he chose it, because it's this quite battered old corrugated metal. I looked around for a while, not quite sure what I would do with the place, for the reasons we talked about, it's like, a, it's like a half a real place and half a not real place, and kind of like a farm, kind of not. Uh, so I wandered around for a while, and then I, I saw the grim, and I thought that in terms of the size and, um, and shape of it, it was actually really reminiscent of these kind of pavilions that would be inside your Jordans and things like that in the 19th century, so very simply. His joke about it is it's the world's most corrugated camera obscura, so that when we're trying to advertise mm. it to tourists, <laughs> and he wants to do a sign on a little piece of corrugated metal. Um, we're used to being kind of blown away by modern technology. We think that it has to be the latest, you know, the biggest screen on a, the latest um, smartphone. And the thing is, is that this is really simple technology. It functions the same way as the eye, uh, that you just need a pinhole into a darkened space. And then when light passes through it, it's basic physics. Um, the image will be inverted, uh, but you'll get an absolutely clear image on a screen. You can fiddle around with it more by adding a lens. Uh, so then you can adjust its focus, and you can add a mirror so you can flip it so that it's not uh, upside down if you want to. And so with this kind of camera obscura, and, the, and they were a, a common thing uh, in the Victorian era, that it was kind of like a, uh, the same as having the you know, lantern slideshows and things like that. But you might have it at the Village Green in England. Um, there's still one in, in Greenwich up on the top of the hill, which gives a magnificent view. This is the camera obscura at Greenwich at the observatory. It's just a projection. Uh, that you walk in, the, there is a mirror and a lens, so the opening's at the very top, and it projects down onto a tabletop. And then uh, f for both the one in Greenwich, but Donald's as well, there's a, a crank you can turn so you can get 360 degrees, you can spin it around, and you just get this magic happens. I mean, it's like being a magician. <laughs> you close the door, your eyes adjust to the darkness, and you start to be able to see the image, and it becomes clearer, and that it is this absolutely picture perfect. And then the thing is, as soon as something moves, so a person walks by or the clouds are blowing by, you realize that it's you're seeing what's outside. Uh, and I guess that sounds not that, because like, well, you can stick your head out and see what's outside, but you're seeing this incredibly focused image, like a specific image that's been 
selected for you. Curated, if you will. <laughs> Curated, <laughs> thank you, my favorite word, yes. Um, but it's also, uh, I mean, one of the things that artists do, so I mean, in, in different periods and different forms of artwork, has been about trying to create works. That's one of the things the Impressionists did, which is about how we actually see the world, not what we think of as a realistic image. So when if you're if you're going to do a good portrait of a person, you don't do like a flat, you know, skin color of whatever their skin color is. Because of course the light's shining on it and there's actually greens and blues and other colors and that one would not think of as skin tone for, you know, whatever whatever that person's skin is. Um, and so the camera obscura does the same kind of thing, which it's it it makes one focus on a very specific details as a rather than we have this overwhelming amount of information that we can take in and we don't actually pay attention to it. Where, where I want it to focus is I'd, I'd like it to focus uh, kind of right on the, the kind of grain bins that are kind of like itself and where it came from. Um, and when it does, it, it, it can focus to kind of really sharp, so you'll see kind of light just glistening off those, so it's a bit off. Um, but I, I guess in terms of um, Alvin Noe's book, for example, like, like interest in technology and whatnot, obviously he talks about technology and a way that's more expensive and different from thinking about like mechanics and whatnot. Uh, but having said that, in, in a part, of, there are a couple of aspects of what he writes about technology that I, I think I kind of play into a bit. Um, somewhere, I think, relatively early in the book, he talks about technology as not being. Camera obscure. That it's a Latin word that just means dark room, and it's where our room. So camera room uh, is where we get the word for the modern camera. Yeah. So why we go around calling devices that take photographs rooms is yeah. because of the camera obscura. Uh, and the thing is, is also in the, in the Renaissance that there wasn't a division between art and science. So um, the whole thing about like Leonardo da Vinci, et cetera, was that they were investigating art and they were investigating science at the same time. And uh, so they were looking at starting to understand things like the properties of light and that kind of thing. So there was a big interest in camera obscuras. And then the camera lucida is where you look into a, a lens and you, it's similar actually to looking on a computer and then mousing, so using your hand on the, on the mouse, which is that um, you draw what you're seeing through the lens rather than what you're seeing if you raise your head and look up. So you ought to get a little bit of coordination going to get used to doing it, but it's, um, you're essentially like tracing underneath your, what your eye is seeing, but you're not tracing a projection. Mm. I mean, the thing I like about that is, is it, when I read David Hockney's stuff, it made me realize that what people, you know, in a sense, you, you want these portraits and you want them to be very, um, to have a good likeness and to be realistic. And, and you realize, that, oh, they like, you know, they are the photographs of the day. I mean, I know that sounds, yeah. you know, but you know, that's what people were trying to achieve. And all we did with photography is really find a way of fixing the image. Yes. 
without having to paint it you know and it, and it kind of it just really boggles your mind that you you suddenly you, everything flips around for you where you realize that people are using these technologies and they were using them similarly to how we use a camera today and that, that they were trying to generate what is a in effect a, a, a photograph of an image of someone that's lifelike and realistic and this is they were using that technology to do it and all the the only bit they lacked was the ability to fix the image on a, onto on, a, onto onto a, a surface yeah yes um well, they, they did fix an image onto the surface. It yeah. was done with human yeah. ingenuity in, yeah. a, in a different way. But yes, I mean, but not yeah, not to instantly or yeah, not to instantly or, do it. or fix the image without sticking your hand in to yeah. do the fixing. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I just um, who is David Hockney? David Hockney is a is a very famous British artist. He's also sort of well known for being interested in the history of art and how how art is produced. So he he's also done this exploration into was the camera obscura responsible for the shift that you see in in uh, portraiture david hockney is here he is considered to be one of britain's greatest contemporary artists yet he is perhaps best known for immortalizing the city of los angeles in art over the years his paintings and photography have reflected his fascination with swimming pools and the landscape of california recently he put down his paintbrush to concentrate on a new book secret knowledge is hockney's study of the use of optics in the works of the great masters. His theory that Western art has been dependent on optical devices for 400 years is at the center of a debate in the art world. I mean, I'm not an art historian, but I'm not, I mean, I would just agree with him. I'm not sure why the argument would be made other than there's a desire to like say that it's the hand of the genius and yeah, that there I, isn't I, technology I, uh... involved, which is the whole reason why, I mean, there's still um, curators and that don't think that photography really is art, but the, yeah. for the longest, yeah. you know, for a good century after its invention, uh, there was a holdout that photography wasn't actually art because it was just you were using technology. Well, that's why I find interesting about Hockney's thing as well because he's like, well, we've all, you know, artists have always tried to use technology, yes. like the idea that it's just the hand of the genius. I mean, he doesn't seem to have much truck with that idea. Well, and then the other thing is also just. Um, that it's only much more recently that we have the separation of art and science, that the, the two actually went together. And as I think we're proving, they go together very yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I have to look it up because I think there is a paper, there's a couple of papers of people who actually tried to test his, his theory about, but there's also this amazing documentary. Tim's Vermeer. Yes, yes. you've seen that. Yeah, I saw that. It's yeah. wonderful, hey. So have you seen it, Chris? It's like this. This um, he like so the whole thing is that how did Vermeer get the light in his paintings? It's so extraordinary. How could he do it? And the idea is, well, he used a camera lucida to do it. And so this guy decides, right, I'm going to. He re he kind of builds this room. He tries to recreate one of Vermeer's paintings. It took me about half an hour to learn how to operate a paintbrush. Good for you. It took me forty years. <laughs> It's possible that he was more of a tinkerer, more of a geek. And in that way, I feel a kinship with him. So you're going to construct a replica of the exact room where Vermeer painted? That's right. The harpsichord, the Spanish chair, the viola da gamba, the rug. The wind's trying to blow my shape. Well, this <laughs> certainly is not easy. Well, I think also the argument that those who don't want to say that artists use, use technology is because that's being invested in the kind of idea of this sort of uh, mythical genius who just mm. has like these abilities, yeah. as opposed to that making art is hard work. Yeah. <laughs> um, that you know people will want to say about art, oh, well, you're talented, whereas mm. a person wouldn't say to a 
successful physicist, oh, you're so talented in the way that you're able to understand, you know, what's going on with mm. whatever phenomenon. Uh, but it's denying the idea of the, the hard work, the skill. And I mean, it comes back to the fact that art is research. So mm. you're going to be researching the both the methods, the techniques, yeah. and then also the concepts and the ideas. Yeah, I think you have to be way talented to use one of those camera lucidas. My God. Yeah. Do well, you know what I mean? So, it's really... Watching the process of that guy um, paint with that camera obscura, it didn't take away from... No, I don't think it does. ...from the work, because it, it's still so much work. Yes. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, the thing is, is that you... You'd have you all the setup that you have to do, and um, all the research that came with, just like figuring out how to do all yes. of that stuff, and then choosing the subject matter, and you're still going to have to do the composition and all of those kind of things. Yeah, it's not it's not just it's not just you don't just sort of pick up a camera and produce great yes. photography, do you? As I mean, has you know. been really proven with the you know <laughs> what one can see on social media. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it also, though, I mean, the thing that, that the, with Donald's uh, camera obscura, so, I mean, I, I, I brought him to the Coot Center. I knew that this would be a good fit based on the work that he'd done before where he'd built, like, he'd built his own underwater pinhole cameras. They're fabulous-looking objects, and then they actually work as well. And that there'd be a really nice connection for him, like old farm machinery and the objects that were there. And that he, you know, identified this grain bin and that he wanted to turn it into a camera obscura. And it's something that we've acquired for the collection. So it's, a, you know, an outdoor sculpture that we have uh, in the university collection. When people visit the Coot Center property, uh, they can go in, they can see it. But that it has this, like, the, the whole thing about, uh, in terms of having successful engagement, I mean, one couldn't have a better thing than this. I mean, that it captures people's interest they're curious about it, and then they really do have this, like, whoa. And then they have all these questions, and they want to have a discussion, and you can end up talking about both about things like how light works, how the eye sees, but you can also talk about, like, what artists do. Like what, And we, we um, had have this lengthy process to acquire the work into the collection about what exactly is the art, because, of course, the VIN mm. already existed, and we already owned it. So what's where is the level of what's been added to it by Donald uh, and then having to put a value on it for being able to do a, to being able to do acquire it, but that it's, um, that it, that, that this is the thing that I really want to do is where one works with the artist in terms of their skills and understanding of, of engaging with people and w what people actually do when they see the work. So you, you don't need to then put a layer of explaining it or, uh, because the work itself is so interesting. And then also Donald set it up in such a way that you can, um, it has, you can figure out how to use it. So it has simple instructions mm. to tell you to close the door and allow your eyes to adjust. But everything else you can just figure out by being in it. Something that I find really curious is um, you have this, this camera obscura, which is... I mean, comparatively speaking, really low tech. Um, I mean, I can watch a movie on my phone in 4K uh, 
and and I have. I've just never. <laughs> I've never. I've never felt the need to clap when I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I don't know. I. I feel the same. Right? I am much more impressed by things like the camera obscura. Or I was reading the other day all about how um, Athenian democracy worked and how they had all these like little machines and things like little people had little tokens that they had to stick into this this board and then they would turn a crank or something and all the things would fall. And it was like, it was this amazing sort of um, quite, you know, obviously mechanical, not electronic, you know, anything like that, but very mechanical, primitive technology, well, primitive, you know, that's mm -hmm. a bad word to use, but but the whole thing was like simple, but you're kind of like that, it, but it wasn't simple. That's right. what I'm trying to say. It was like, it was, you know, it was really clever and it was really, and you kind of think that's amazing. And then, right. but you're sitting there, I was reading it on my computer, right? <laughs> Right. Which I don't think is amazing at all. I just ask, so I don't. You know, actually, one usually finds it annoying because it doesn't do what one yeah. wants. Yeah, so do. I don't know if it's because either you you just what you grow up with kind of thing you don't you don't appreciate, or yeah. it's just too complex. It's just like you can't see the I can't see how this computer works. I just open it and it comes on, and there, like, boom, there it is. And so it might as well be magic, as far as I'm concerned. Well, whereas, you, whereas I understand how the camera obscura works, and it's sort of amazing to me that such a that that this kind of very quite simple mechanical um process object whatever you want to call it makes this thing in front of you i mean yeah. i don't know I, I can't i can't explain it it's just well i mean the part of it is that i mean donald did do an enormous amount of work to plan this out yeah so yeah, there's a sure. lot of a lot of math involved in measuring it oh out absolutely and then figuring out um because you have to figure out the focal length and all yeah. of this kind of thing. And then since he first built it, he's made adjustments so that it'll be better. He's made ones before uh, so that he's tested that out. He made maquettes. He made, you know, sample parts of it. So, again, it's deceptively simple. I mean, that it's and it, it looks like this. I mean, it's what you end up. And certainly it is simple in the sense that it, it's going to work whether there's electricity or not. Yeah. So... Station Eleven, you know, after yeah. the flu outbreak, the, you can come yeah. and visit the we Camera can, Obscura. We can still have the camera have the nice obscura. experience. It's a wonderful novel, Station Eleven. Oh, okay. Yeah, you and, should read uh, it. Yeah, put it well, on the big pile everyone of the things that you need. I'm it. still working through the Noe book. <laughs> yeah, no, this, well, is, this is fiction, though. This is it's you fiction. Know, this it, well, yeah, but I mean, Noe was talking about um, about how um, I guess, like in terms, like in Noe terms, the uh, Donald's work puts how we perceive things on display. Yes. Yeah. You I'm have been reading the Noe book. That's <laughs> perfect. Because, I mean, I think that's the thing is that we take computers for granted. They're they're part of our everyday environment. I mean, I have a computer and an iPad and a phone. And, you know, you mm -hmm. just take it for granted that you can do this. So part of it is that the thing that's novel then catches your interest. So, we, you know... For a lot of the people who've been to the Camera Obscura, they've never been in one before. They have not actually heard about it. They don't understand what, mm. you know, so that this is their first experience of it. Or even if you have been in them before, you don't see them that often, mm. like less than once a year. Like if you're a person who's actually interested in them, you don't see them that often. So it, this is the thing that art can do. And what Noe talks about is which is that that's stopping you and you're seeing something because it's it's taken it out of its context. It's taken you out of your context. It's like yeah. done that shift. It's done that move uh, where you pause 
and you notice things that are in your everyday environment or you focus out of all of the things that are out there, all the things that you could see and, and pay attention to, that you're focused in on this particular image or this particular moment or this idea. Like and Lab podcast is produced by myself, Marvik Adiser, and the principals of Level 2 Like and Lab, Christine Clark, Louise Barrett, and Josephine Mills. Our audio engineers are Matthew Erdman, Matt Rutterberg, and Jake Kadike. Funding support for this project is provided by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and Canada Council for the Arts. Visit our website, likeandlab.ca, for show notes and to see more about the ideas and people featured on the show. You can listen to all episodes of Like and Lab Podcast Season 1 through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Oh, no, and actually, and it reminds me of this, and, like, we're recording this, but we don't have to put this on, but just, like, I had this, like, nice little summer romance when I was 22, and she took me to her, like, place out in the country, and... um. I remember because I was an idiot, I would just, like, take photos of everything as much as I could. And, like, dumb things, like her, the kitchen or something, because I wanted to, like, keep those memories in my head. But then I look at those photos, and I don't mean anything. But th the thing that I remember is, like, oh, we were drinking Dale coffee, like, the morning after I slept over. And, like, and that's, like, the meaningful thing. It's not the, it's not the snapshots. Yeah.